Oscar Poker. Uh, hi, I'm, uh, we're going to be talking about the Army Hammer article that's in airmail, and um, I just posted a piece about it. It basically says that, yeah, that, you know, for the first time since he was branded as a sexual cannibal animal, if you will, uh, banished from the film business, uh, Army has presented his side of the story, and uh, please ignore the variety summary, summary by Elizabeth Wagmeister, because the airmail piece is about a lot more than just, you know, the usual contrition and spin that people have been accused of something, you know, like I was bad. Now, forgive me uh, what he says and what the what he offers in terms of compelling evidence is highly persuasive. Mm. Um, and and I'm not going to uh, you know, go over chapter and verse, but it's all pretty much there. And um, I read it this morning. Uh, and many of the accusations about against uh, Army Hammer, which were all over the place, and basically the man was just basically get away from us, go away, never come back, you're dead. But the accusations uh, look kind of flimsy. A lot of them do. I'm not saying that he's completely exo- exonerated of, of you know what any of us would call obsessive or assholeish behavior, as uh, he, you know the the major. Um, sin of, of of the of the Me Too community is basically if you're involved in a relationship which there's a major power imbalance. You've heard this term, but basically that's like a really bad thing in and of itself. Forget what happens because you're exploiting and taking advantage of younger women who are, you know, don't have equal power. And I, I've been guilty, I guess. But I guess many men have been guilty of power imbalance, but that happens to be the way. Uh, all relationships have been for centuries, if not millennia, and it's only in the last few years that a power imbalance has been cited as something that is really bad on the part of, of uh, straight dudes. So uh, that's one thing. But he basically admits to being an asshole and having um, uh, exploited uh, and 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 been a you know taker and a user and, a, and an abuser to some extent, but the specific charges about being uh, a rapist or being a uh, cannibalistic uh, appetites, uh, ignoring safe words, all that stuff, he says it's completely wrong, complete bullshit, and um, you know it's all there. So I'm not going to go into it. we could we could spend yeah. 45 minutes just re- reading it out loud. All right. So do you remember back in the 70s when we would get rumors that would come through like what well, was something like? No, I think I think the rumor that I heard when I was a kid was he had 14 gallons of sperm that he swallowed in one night. Like or that uh, Don Wait, Rod Stewart is straight the last time I checked. Why would he be swallowing? I, I don't know. That was it. one of the rumors. It, well, I'm just telling I'm trying to set something up here. I'm trying to tell you that do you remember those rumors? You probably don't. But, but why Rod Stewart? Why not I don't know who, why. I'm just know. telling you what okay. what the rumors were back in the okay. 70s. And that was just one of okay. them. Another one was Donna Summer had had 100 orgasms while, fil- while recording Love to Love You, Baby. Obviously a total lie. And uh, mm-hmm. then there was the Richard Gere gerbil story. Uh, I'm yeah. just saying, like, these things that now imagine mm-hmm. having social media with that level of uh, rumor. And, and that's what happened with Army Hammer was that 
the stories just got more and more sensational and people couldn't stop reading them and listening. They basically invented a whole story that wasn't really the truth. And what he is is a yeah. if you if you are involved in any way in sexual uh online sexual relationships with people you know, you know where it goes. If you've ever been on FetLife and you've dealt with any sort of fetishes, you know what people talk like on that, on text and on DMs mm-hmm. and in fantasy. Like that, nothing that Army Hammer said to that girl or nothing that they were talking about is in that is out of the ordinary when it comes to that kind of stuff online. So it's very pretty much status quo. Um, well, be yeah. specific, say BDSM, bondage dispensated mask. All right, let me just put it this way. <laughs> I'm not mm-hmm. 100% into that. I have had moments, uh, but I'm just saying that, like, um, if people looked at my texts and DMs with people over the years, mm-hmm. they would, conc- and, and I could take any of those. Like, there's a guy I know who is addic- addicted to phone sex, like from the 80s, addicted to phone sex. And he is not just addicted to phone sex. It has to be absolutely taboo, like the grossest, weirdest stuff you've ever heard. But it's all fantasy, right? Mm -hmm. And the thing is, he can't stop. Like, it wrecked his marriage. uh, It wrecked his finances. It totally took him under. And he's he's uh, semi-well-known in Hollywood. I won't say who he is, obviously. He's not well-known, but he's well-known enough that he gets... He gets paid by Hollywood uh, to do certain things, write screenplays, for instance. Well, wait a minute. I'm not understanding how it was that he suffered for this. It was uh, in text, and he happened? suffered for it Came because he somewhere? could. He suffered for it because he couldn't have sex in real life. He couldn't have relationships that were successful with okay. women. He could only have phone sex with them. So if he met women, they okay. would always want a relationship. And he couldn't fulfill that part of it. So he would always try to get it right. to be a phone sex relationship. Um, I'm just saying that when people... How did that hurt his, how did that hurt his life, though? I mean, well, because it, it, hurt his finances, it, because it? His ma- it broke up his marriage, his long-term marriage, when she figured out that all their money was going to phone sex, for instance. <laughs> and, um, okay. you know, he couldn't stop. Right. So, And he was addicted yeah. to it. And it, it was like Army Hammer. Mm-hmm. It was It had... had was connected to something that happened in his youth. Um, he mm-hmm. was in Central Park or something in New York, and he was a teenager, and he walked by a phone mm-hmm. booth. That's how long ago it was. And he the phone was ringing, and mm-hmm. he picked it up, and some guy was on the other end saying, you know, talking to him as in a, in a voice that he says was trying to sound female and was saying all this sexual stuff, and he had never heard anything like that. And, and it just, you know, it ignited something in his brain, and he could never forget it for his whole life. And and poor Army Hammer um, had that because he was molested by. No, he wasn't. He didn't get on the phone. He was actually physically. That's what I just said. He was molested by figure. by okay. the priest. But but I'm just saying right. that right. that moment in his life activated something in his brain. And and when it came to these bizarre relationships with women, he couldn't. He was. It was like he said. He he describes it beautifully. It's a beach ball, right? It's a beach ball he tries to keep under the water. And then when she wrote him that one thing, she worked in a sex club dungeon, whatever it was. The beach ball Mm. uh, bounced to the surface of the water and he couldn't really stop it or control it. I totally understand where he's coming from. What I don't understand is this Mm -hmm. weird puritanical girl woman generation 
that believes that women are somehow children and that you can groom young adult women um, into these things. Like, what happened to my generation's idea that women had their own agency and their own power to say no and yes? I, they have these weird little, like, uh, sort of teenage girl club ideas about consent, you know? Consent is only mm-hmm. given this and that and this and that. And then, you know, you can't give consent if, and they have it to where now, even if a woman is totally sober and doesn't say no, if she just meant to say no, then that counts as, you know, not giving. That's, that's like the Aziz, that's the Aziz Azari thing. She yes. kind of meant to say no. He had bad taste. He was um, not listening. He was insensitive. And therefore, he got canceled for like two years. Right. Or, or even longer. You know. Yeah. Because all he did, it was basically a, a bad date. And that's, that's what, you know, he didn't do anything that was illegal or assaultive, but he was a bit of a dick. And so he had to pay by having his career stop for like, mm. what, you know, a couple of years. And I never bought the cannibalism thing with, with Army Hammer, but but what I did notice and what you noticed, what we talked about a lot, was that we knew his career would be over because of the way that people were talking mm. about it. It was just like they weren't giving him the benefit of the doubt. They were assuming that everything that he ever said in fantasy he meant literally, which is like, what, are you 12? Oh, my God, don't you know mm-hmm. about the world, you people? Right. What's wrong right. with you? Mm-hmm. But but really, they don't. They don't. They didn't live experienced lives. They led very protective lives. Our children, my daughter, for the, you know, they had a... For those who have... Okay, go ahead. I'm just going to say, my daughter had, you know, in her generation, because they couldn't escape their ho- hovering helicopter parents... They had to develop this rich fantasy mm-hmm. life online and escape online. And when they did that, they got into this weird world of fan fiction where they made up um, plots around characters that they liked. And I feel like with this Army Hammer story, they just turned it into some twisted sort of fan fiction where they cast him mm-hmm. as some sort of character and they cast all of his victims a certain way. And everybody was playing into it and the women were taking advantage of it and nobody was trying to stop it. Cause like the article points out, who cares? It's just army hammer, another rich guy, another rich white guy, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I, I care about the truth, well, you know, let's just be um, upfront about the, for those who have not read this air mail article, which is free. It's not paywalled. Anybody can read it. Uh, written by James Kirchick. And um, worked on for several weeks, apparently. Uh, he's, the last time they talked was late, late fall. It's not just Army Hammer saying this is what happened in my, from my perspective. It's not just spin. Mm. And you know, now that I now that I've confessed and I've admitted to be an asshole, can you forgive me? It's not just that. It's evidence of texts from the from his accused, particularly his major accuser. Um, who was most often quoted and who attended a, uh, who was the central, the center point of a, um, a press conference, Gloria Allred press conference. Uh, her uh, claims are, are completely undermined by texts that um, are, appear in the article that says she was insisting to uh, somebody that she, he was not a, an abuser and that he was a good daddy. And, uh, you know, it just it's it's just a lie is what it seems to be. I'm not saying that I know everything, but it seems to have been a complete bullshit. Yeah. Um, um, You know, not not honest, not honest and just and really hurtful and harmful. I I don't know 
how much is on us, how much our, our, you know, army might be spinning to some extent, but it certainly introduces big questions in terms of the, his accusers, because they really go, the article goes over a lot of stuff. He, he doesn't. He, I don't think he's trying to dodge it at all. In fact, I think he's he's almost he's too hard on himself, in my opinion. The way he, this thing winds up, he was trying to commit suicide mm-hmm. and stuff. He's he's totally owning the part where he discarded women and went through them like any addict would. Like that's addictive behavior. That's what that looks like. You know, yeah. um, they don't mm-hmm. care when when you're with an addict. You know, the the, the pe- person's feelings are are you know are irrelevant. Like this, this guy I knew who was addicted to phone sex, it didn't matter what the other people in their life was trying to do. All that mattered was he needed Mm -hmm. to talk to them at exactly at the time that he called. And that was that. Mm -hmm. And if you refused, he would throw a fit, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. not saying from personal experience, I'm just saying, you know, my friend, my friend who engaged (laughs) in that, it wasn't, (laughs) I know this person. Um, No, but, but, (laughs) but the thing is, is that um, she, she obviously is obsessed with him and who wouldn't be according to that one guy, he's incredibly charming and he charms everybody that, that he meets. Mm -hmm. So she was obviously in Mm -hmm. love with him and she says the thing is that what people don't understand about women, it's true that some women are into it just for the kink of it and enjoy the kink of it. But a lot of women, they're hoping that at the end of it is love. They're hoping that at the end of it, if you go through all this stuff and you do all this terrible stuff, that this guy's going to want to be with you, you know, Um, and and you don't understand that that's just not the case, you know, that they're, they're just... My friend understood that eventually, <laughs> but it took a while. Um, they think that, you know, at the end of it, she obviously thought that there was going to be, she wanted him to leave his wife. She followed him to different films. She went to the place where they filmed Call Me By Your Name to get a picture. Yeah, with Crema him. in Italy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so she obviously had an obsession with, did anybody even think to ask her these questions, you know, until this reporter did. No, they didn't, because people were so Mm -hmm. scared. And that's what you talked about in your article about there's something happening here. You were saying that there's something changing in the air, that people are able to talk Mm -hmm. about things that they never could before, you know? It happens uh, in a kind of like when the dike starts to burst. It's little dribbles at first, and then gradually the water... uh, builds up force and more pieces of the dam break and you know so i think we're seeing that early process in which little pieces of the dam are starting to crack and uh, and i it, it kind of reminded me about his um having been an admitted asshole by ghosting women that he mm. had been involved with uh that it's um it really really hurts it's a terrible way to deal with anybody you've been by just uh disappearing uh, that's and it reoccurred to me after reading this article. That's pretty much precisely what happened with Ansel Elgort and the mm-hmm. young girl who's who was called Gabby, uh, because they had been intimate uh, legally in New York State, legally intimate a couple of times, and he, you know, thoughtlessly ghosted her, and she just lost it. And I I, I know what it feels like to be ghosted. It's a terrible feeling, and and people should not do it. But that's what triggered her thing. He didn't do anything of, a, of an abusive uh, nature. It, he just was intimate with her, and then he abandoned her without without thought. And so she, um, you know, she had her revenge. Yeah. She called it, you know, sexual abuse in there. But he didn't apparently do anything. 
But that's not. But Twitter went crazy, and they said he, you know, called him a rapist, and you know, yeah. The well, I, um, the Twitter people are, are nuts. They are, and and the thing is, is this is all about power, right? This is about having power. This is like black Twitter, black community have power for the first time ever in the last few years, for the first time in American history, have voice and power. Mm-hmm of leverage and women and the Me Too movement did. And, and I, if you watch the Pamela Anderson, I don't know if you watched the documentary on Pamela Anderson yet, which I, I, I haven't love. done it yet. I know, I I know highly, you were very moved by it. I'm, I intend to see it for sure. Yeah, I, I highly recommend it. But what's interesting about it is watching all these gross guys say all these things to her and you're just looking at it going, God, you know, there's a part of me that thought, you know what, I'm glad that there was the Me Too movement because men will never talk to women like that again. And um, it's not that I'm saying that someone who looks like Pamela Anderson, who's naked on the cover of magazines, you know, shouldn't expect people to objectify her. She's objectifying herself. But the thing about her is she's smart, you know, and she's not. I mean, Mm -hmm. she's funny and she's smart. um, And to just hear them over and over again, like Matt Lauer asking her if she has implants and Jay Leno making, you know. (laughs) It's just people just constantly talking about her boobs. It's like that's all they want to talk about with her. And um, and you're just looking at that going, wow, really? Like, was it really that bad? <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, so, the, but she she launched it. Come on, the whole thing, the whole Baywatch thing was I am quite desirable. Look at me. And that's it. I mean, you know, I, I didn't even know. No, I know. But, but I'm just saying, like, you go on a talk show and, and like, that's what you're – I, I just think that, that that it's just funny to watch it now because it does seem so antiquated compared to where we, we, we've come out of. And it just it does seem like a dumb question to just keep asking over. I don't think people who watch Pamela Anderson need to have that question answered. They're staring at her. You know, they're seeing her with their own eyes. Can I also say something? Did you see the uh, Pamela and Tommy Lee uh, miniseries? No, I never watched it. I didn't. Okay. Well, even in that, I think she's taken some shots. She felt that she was portrayed. But, you know, that was a pretty, she came off as a really deeply vapid, empty, empty, empty mm. Coke bottle. I mean, well, she, then she they didn't have any depth as a, as a person. So they were part they of They got it wrong. She, then they got it wrong. Then they're bad writers. Because that's, yeah. you can obviously tell yeah. from this story, which I think they made it partly to clear up the air. But she's not a vapid person. Mm-hmm. She's incredibly smart, very funny. And, um, you know, just different. Why don't you hook up with an idiot like Tommy Lee then? You have to ask yourself. No, you don't. You not choices. No, it's easy to understand if you watch the documentary. She basically got with her father. Okay. He looks like her father. He acts like her father. And when she met him, <laughs> it, it ignited okay. something in her because, uh, you know, she just had never been with a guy like that. She had terrible relationships. You know, the whole movie's about her terrible relationships with men and how she kept marrying Did mention her thing? Can you just what about Kid Rock? Is he also her father? Because he's a complete idiot. He saw something that she uh, he appeared in. Somebody was uh, was very sexual with her, and he got angry and he left the party that they were at, and he became a, a complete idiot. Well, he yeah, he's and just one he of these idiots. He's just one of many of the men that she was involved with. And she's a very very sweet person, very nice person, and attracted to assholes. Look, I know, man. Uh, hello. Mm-hmm. I'm exactly the same way. I understand exactly where she's coming from. You, you just have this thing where, you you know, the kind of guy that she likes is the kind of guy who's bad for her. 
and um, and he's a uh, Kid Rock is just a small part of it, but she really just was in, mm-hmm. really in love with this with Tommy Lee, and um, you know they had two kids together, and they had an, obviously an incredible sex life, <laughs> and they loved mm-hmm. each other, and they were together a long time, and uh, but what I like about it is that. I just I see somebody different than I always thought she was, and that, I think it's a good documentary in that way. It shows who she really is. Okay. And you know, you come out rooting um, for her. It's like I, I feel bad for her the way that her life went. You know, it, it, she's broke. She has no money. Everybody made tons of money off her. Playboy, Baywatch. You know, she didn't make any mm-hmm. of that money. She doesn't. He, her son says she gets like four thousand a year in residual checks. Uh, from Baywatch and she's, you know, and so, you know, she didn't really get much out of any of it. She's, you know, she just has her sons and she has her animal rights stuff that she does. Um, and she takes care Doesn't of her she parents. she have a home in, in, in uh, off the coast of Nova Scotia? Or a little Washington tiny, yeah, somewhere. a little tiny home in somewhere in Canada on the beach. She takes care of her parents, okay. you know. And um, mm-hmm. I liked the story. I thought it was good. But anyway, the bottom line is the only reason I bring this up is that the difference between mm-hmm. now and then is remarkable. Right. And so some of that stuff was good. Some of that Me Too stuff was important. You know, not all of it was terrible. It's just that it devolved into this, you know, where Amber Heard was taking advantage of it and this girl was taking advantage of it and all these sort of schemers coming in. And exploiting the moment for their own success, their own mm-hmm. money, their own platforms, their own power, at the expense of people like mm-hmm. him. And they're trying to say to you, well, what do you care about him? You know, you shouldn't care about him. He's expendable. But, you know, if you care about the truth and you care about people, you don't want that to happen mm-hmm. to anyone. You know? Well, no, certainly. I, I, and I'm, you know, I was also thinking about how she was comedically exploited as a piece of meat by Borat. Remember when he you know, grabs her and puts her in a bag and he runs off with her? She she kind of played along with that also, right? Because it was funny. I didn't see that, but upon the, she, she does have a really funny so, sense of humor, and that comes out through the through the show, which I didn't know about her. She's really actually really funny and and goofy. Mm-hmm. And you just don't expect smart and goofy to be attached to somebody that beautiful. You know, mm-hmm. she had the reputation of being also, dumb, but she wasn't dumb. May I ask something? Did they address the John Peters marriage? I don't know that in that's the in there, but I know that he has since said that he's leaving her like 20 million or 10 million or something when he dies. I have no idea why. Okay. I, okay. Did, did they address what happened? Because that mm-hmm. also indicates what is her issue. She gets married to him and they like quit after two weeks or something. It was that John Peters. She quit after two weeks. That guy. Yes. That super wealthy producer, John Peters. Well, she, she, it, she didn't marry were, anybody for were well. married. She's, she's marries a lot of guys in this show for like a week. I mean, there's just, there's so many of them that you can't keep track. Um, and, and, you know, she basically is somebody who, you know, is obviously one of the most beautiful women in the world. Could you know, men throw themselves at her, but she's she's only attracted mm. to a certain kind of guy. You know, um, uh, I'm wrong. By the way, I just looked this up. The marriage certificate between Pamela Anderson and John Peters, which was his fifth marriage, um, it was um, 
dated January 20th, 20, uh, less than three years ago. Oh. It was not filed. So the, with the couple separated after only, count them, 12 days. So she was really <laughs> never legally married to John Peter. So, okay. okay. But come on, who gets married and separates after 12 days? Come on. Well, she, you, know, you know, you can't read people a little better than that. Maybe last for six months. Maybe you decide after six months it's not a good fit. But 12 days later? Come on. You know, I don't just, know. It just makes her seem not all that thoughtful you know, or not that reflective or something. Well, what it's she is to is... Get, to be impetuous when you're 20 years old. But she's, she's getting on, right? She still does it. You know, it's just it's weird. It's not that weird. I mean, she's what she is is she's a pushover. And she, you know, guys talk her into things and then she decides she doesn't want to do it anymore. And so she walks out. I, I can totally understand that. I'm not, they don't put that in the movie. It's not in there anywhere. So I didn't, I can't really, but I, you just you mean have the to, documentary. Don't say, they're not, you're talking about a documentary. The right? documentary, whatever. Yeah. The, the, the Pamela okay. Anderson okay. thing on Netflix, okay. it's not in there. Um, but mm-hmm. because that's not really the point of it. It's, it's more about the, you know, her life and, and the trajectory of her life and why it went the way that it did. You know, she she was raped when she was 12 and she was molested by a babysitter when she was younger than that. And she had an abusive alcoholic father and they were poor. And then she's this gorgeous woman plucked from obscurity when she poses at some football game. And she's obviously ridiculously beautiful, and she's whisked away to the Playboy mm-hmm. Mansion at, at, you know, I don't know, what, like 18 or something, like super young. They dye her hair. Mm-hmm. She takes these nude photos, and boom, she's huge. All of a sudden, she becomes a superstar yeah. because of her body, and she's gorgeous. And given that, it's kind of amazing that she was still able to be a good mom and not become, you know, dead at 36 mm. or whatever, addicted to opioids or heroin. She never did that. Right. And, you know, mm-hmm. considering her upbringing and how fast her rise and how famous she got, it's amazing to me that she came out of it as, as, as sort of healthy emotionally. As I, she do, I, I do take my head off to her for surviving and somehow putting that aside or growing, getting past it. By the way, you didn't mention the most toxic thing. Yes, she was uh, molested, not by a male, but a female yeah, babysitter. female babysitter. From ages 6 to 10. And they don't like go into it. Years. Yeah, they don't, they don't explain exactly. I was trying to imagine, like, what does that mean exactly? <laughs> like, what are we talking about? The woman fingered her. It means the woman Well, not necessarily. Had her hands on her. No, there well, are other. What could it mean? Well, it could mean oral. I'm proud of her. There are lots of things, but they don't it go says into that it. she was. Okay. Yeah, the tw- she was raped by a twenty-five-year-old guy yeah. when she was twelve. Mm-hmm. And according to what I'm reading here, gang raped by her boyfriend and six of his friends when she was fourteen. That's good God. That's, yeah, that's a horror film. Well, when you are a, a victim of years old, yeah, when you're a victim of sexual abuse like she was, and you have an abusive father, you tend to do what people tell you to do. And it's not surprising that she would go into, let her allow herself to be, in my opinion, sexually exploited by not just the nude magazines, um, but the uh, the tape saying, you know, and, and all that. Um, she, when you look mm-hmm. at her Playboy covers, and there are lots of them, you know, she goes from being this cute, demure young girl to, you know, 
big fake boobs and like they just get more and more sexually explicit. She never goes into porn, but she does mm-hmm. allow herself to become defined only as this sexual creature, this bimbo to, to men. And she's so much more than that. You know, she, she really was. She was so, but there's something about somebody who's abused sexually. They tend to define their whole life by sex and they don't really see beyond mm-hmm. that for themselves, you mm-hmm. know. That's why at the end of it, it's so sweet when she gets the job in Chicago, the movie, the musical Chicago, she's playing Roxy Hart. Like you just, for me, I was just like sobbing. I was like, I'm so glad that something finally happened for her that was about something other than her boobs, you know. Um, it's just great because she ends up... The little this. tiny matter. Go Can ahead. I just add something? Yeah. She, that's good that she got a gig playing Roxy Hart in, I believe it was the Broadway version, right? Uh-huh. It wasn't on the yeah. road, but it was the Broadway, right? Okay. So one naturally wants to know, can she sing? Is she, well, it's great because they, they, they say the review, the review says it, the New York Times reviewed it. And they say, you know, she's fine. She's not the greatest singer, but it's it's just nice to see her. She's a good screen presence. She does a pretty good job. It's what you would say, not half bad. It's how you okay. would put good. And, and good so for she her. She exonerated herself honorably. Without, she didn't hurt it. She saw it, did well enough. That's, that's all yeah, I was wondering. She did well enough. It wasn't embarrassing. But the best part of it is when mm-hmm. she is with her dance instructor, this 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 funny old gay black guy who's like, teaching her how to dance. It's just such a great scene. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, the little gay boy inside me is so excited to meet Pamela Anderson. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's nice to see a success story by the end. And I just feel mm-hmm. for her. I relate to her. I understand where she's coming from. And, and I'm glad mm-hmm. that they made this movie about her to give her some, to give her, you know, a decent enough look at her other than that that trashy, TV series. I mean, it's like, I'm just glad right. that they, you know, I don't even want to watch that, but um, I just had no mm. interest in it. It looked, they didn't look like the two people to me. So, you know, if you grew up in the 90s, you already mm. know what that was like. But um, what, what years were Baywatch? Early 90s to mid 90s, right? I think so. Again, never watched it, but I, you know, you, you could not know who Pamela Anderson was as she was a big, big deal. Mm-hmm throughout our mm-hmm. young lives. Um, it was from 92 to 97. Yeah. Baywatch. I just look at her and her beautiful self, and I think, mm-hmm. why wasn't there any smart directors who knew how to use her the right way? She could have been in movies, you know, how they use Bridget Bardot. Like, there are ways that they could have used her instead of just turning her into a, you know, a balloon, a, a sex doll. Uh, I know that was her doing. I'm not saying people did it to her, but I am saying that there were no visionary directors back then who said, you know who would be great for this role? Pamela Anderson. Yeah, Soderbergh had used her or something something like that. Yeah, Tarantino. Do you happen to to remember Barb Wire? Yeah, yeah, that's um, in the movie. movie that she starred in. Yeah, but that, again, like I say, I just Mm -hmm. don't think they used her right for that. Personally, mm-hmm. they, they've turned her into a okay. kind of a cartoon. It was fine, whatever. But I'm just saying there were better ways mm-hmm. to use Pamela Anderson than the way that they did to immortalize her. Um, I just I love her look and there just aren't people like her anymore. You know, Kardashians aren't cutting it. Uh, 
it makes you think about poor Marilyn Monroe, whose ascendancy was somewhat similar. She was certainly known as a as a sexual object, and you know, the calendar in her early years, and and she tried to kind of shape her destiny and become a serious actress, and I and clearly achieved that by doing the actress studio thing and marrying Arthur Miller, or whatever. But she uh, obviously her life ended tragically, and uh, you have to take your hat off to anyone who got past all that horrible child abuse and all that sexualization, sex, sexually objectifying her. Mm-hmm. And Pamela Anderson has, uh, you know, accomplished that. Good for her. Yeah, and she's, she's gotten she's the, one, mid- the, the one thing but, she has that she has two things that Marilyn didn't have. I mean, she's a lot like Marilyn in that mm-hmm. they both loved animals. Um, they were both mm-hmm. very sensitive and they were both easily taken advantage of by men. But what Pamela Anderson had were she has two sons and her sons are looking out for her and love her. And they're, you know, it's just mm-hmm. so great to see them. They're always by her side when she's on the red carpet for this movie or anything. They're always holding her hand. They're right there with her. She calls them every day. She's got this great relationship with them. Um, and that is a blessing, you know, to have. That That's a thing that haunted Marilyn is she never was able to have kids. And I think... Pamela Anderson's children kind of kept her focused. You know, if anything, like Tommy Lee, mm-hmm. she left him because of the kids, you know. He got mm-hmm. all, like, whiny because she wasn't paying attention to her, and he hit her or something, like kicked her, pushed her, whatever it was, and she left him. You know, she's like, there are no gray areas for me. I have kids, so I'm going to keep them safe. And good for her. Like, that kept her, on a, I think, on a straight line that, that uh, she might not have had otherwise. She, um, she's now like 55 or something, but, um, so she's, uh, did it indicate or suggest what her next ventures would be? I know she did a kind of a, against, a campaign against bullfighting and, and, uh, and, uh, animal rights, as you, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. did she, does, does the documentary say what she'd like to do next? Is, is anything mentioned? It doesn't really seem like she, she's on a. Um, a path, but um, mm-hmm. I sort of think after this, she's going to have some note enough. She's all mm-hmm. over. It's all over TikTok, for instance. I think she's going to have enough notoriety mm-hmm. that you know she could do whatever she wanted. It's just that she's older now. You know, she's not she's not the Pamela Anderson that she was. So she's an older lady, mm-hmm. and what's she going to do with herself? I don't know. She's kind of a free spirit. Like she just you know ambles from one thing to the next. Um, so mm-hmm. it, they don't really say what what's next for her, but she, her activism is important to her. The PETA stuff and um, you know fighting mm-hmm. for animals and all that. That's yeah. also a Bridget Bardot <clears throat> thing. You know, she became a big animal rights person. Right, I know it's weird, isn't it? The <laughs> these bomb, blonde bombshells. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but you know she. And, you know, there's always animals around Pamela Anderson throughout all this. She's got a dog and cats and, you know, she's just she's just one of these people just like Bridget Bardot was. Right. And Tippi Hedren, um, where they, you know, they start Tippi Hedren. They sort of surround themselves with. uh... So do we want to talk anything about film or the Oscars or anything? Is there anything to talk about? Can anything beat everything everywhere all at once? Should we talk about that? Do you want to talk about the hideous? Oh. <laughs> no. This is so depressing to talk about everything everywhere all at once. And you <laughs> and you are apparently have concluded that it is 
some sort of headwind because the narrow little micro bubble, or the people who are voting for the Oscars and deliberating, that they've, they've decided that this is it. And I would I guess again, and uh, I don't want to get into a big argument or anything, but where, what about all the people who hate this movie? I thought that divisive films don't make it at the, at the end of the day. They, they, you know, yes, passion. I understand the passion is there amongst younger voters. But what about people uh, in their 40s, 50s, and older who despise this film? Does that, why are you saying that this is probably going to make it? If given that, you know, you know that I'm not imagining this. This is pretty, pretty real. So well, I'll, I'll say, I'll say two things. First, when you told me that about women talking out of Telluride, I didn't believe you, but you turned out to be mostly right about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know better than to just dismiss what you're saying, because I know that on some level you know what you're talking about. <laughs> but I will say that, that... I'm only telling you that people told me they hated it, Telluride. And the people who loved it were the people in the little orbit, you know. You know what I'm talking about. The people mm-hmm. who, like Justin Chang and others, and... And and I think that you have to think about what people are saying to you on the street. People that you standing next to in line. The guy says, "My God, I hate that film." <laughs> that means something. You can't just go with the critics and say, "Well, they, they they're they're wiser," you know. Well, I, I know, them. and and that's the only thing that prevents me from being fully on board with this movie winning, um, because I okay. it's really hard for me to imagine that many Academy voters voting for it, unless they're really just doing voting for something they didn't watch because they know it's politically the right thing to do. Um, now, politically the right thing to do is to vote for Michelle Yeoh. And, and that is a moment I, that I understand people figuring Kate's got two Oscars. Let's give her one because after all, she's getting older and she's uh, Asian American and she's very, you know, it, it's a good thing to right. embrace her at this stage. I get that. Yeah, but that's not what you're talking about. You're saying that they want to embrace the film, and that again, I don't see where how that. I, I personally don't either. I'm I'm get people are guessing that that's the way it's going, but the truth is nobody really knows because we have three different best picture winners right now. Uh, the only intel we have is three have won, and they've all the three different movies. So it's Banshees and Fablemans at Globes, and then Critics' Choice gave it to. Everything everywhere, but that that is by no means a harbinger of the Oscars critics choice. So um we have the producer we have the producers guild. Yeah, the producers guild isn't till the end of this month, right? And then the the producers guild, the directors guild, and the screen actors guild are all coming at the end of February. So that's mm-hmm. plenty of time for a backlash to develop against everything everywhere all at once people think it's the front runner like power of the dog they're going to start thinking about it like do i really want to vote for this movie this movie really so Mm -hmm. you know it's a really hard movie to sit through especially the first hour (laughs) i think that i um, just want this to you know (laughs) to recognize (laughs) that you're saying it's a really hard movie to sit through and i know how you felt about it and how i felt about it and yet here you are with a straight face, earnestly, because you're no dummy. You know what they know this town now. And yet you're saying it's it's, it's like wow, maybe see, people have second thoughts about voting at the best picture of the year. Because Nothing I, it's here. one Nothing of those things I have to believe it to see it for myself, right? 
I just have to mm-hmm. believe it because it's hard for me to believe it right now. Just like it was with, you know, almost every movie that's won lately has been hard for me to believe it mm-hmm. would win. Like Parasite, it was hard for me to believe mm-hmm. that was going to win. Um, Coda, mm-hmm. it was really hard for me to believe that was going to win. Power of the Dog, hard for me to believe. Like, and so it's one of those things I have to see it to believe it because the only movie that I want to win um, you know, that I think are good are three movies that, you know, Top Gun um, and Banshees, I think, is really good. Um, I actually like The Fablemans a lot. So I feel like either any of those movies that won, but how do you build a consensus? Like you, to win, you need a consensus. You need thousands of people to agree with you that this is the best movie of the year. Why do you even mention Fablemans? You know, you're, you're <laughs> again, you're too smart. You know what's going on. That movie has been basically relegated to, okay, pretty good, not bad, but not that great either. It was kind of like looking at my watch, and Michelle Williams is not that uh, compelling, and it really only comes alive in two or three scenes. And that's what everybody more or less seems to think. It's just not good enough. So why do you mention that? I'm just saying the the movies that that I liked and that I would be fine with if they won. But I think that, honestly, that the movie that should win is Top Gun. I, I think it should win because it it's the movie of the year, you know, and by, by no yeah. other measure is there than, than that. This is the movie of the year. And so it's the only movie people are going to remember 20 years from now, mm-hmm. um, this but, or Avatar maybe, but, um, but probably not even Avatar, probably just Top Gun. It really embedded itself in the hearts and minds of, of people. And it would be a great mm-hmm. movie to see win. I don't think it's going to win, but I would like to see it win. You and me both. And this is the first time that I can remember being completely convinced that uh, this is the kind of film that really should be celebrated because of the time in history, the, there was the apparent weakness of... Uh, of exhibition, uh, the way everything seems to be falling apart, that older people are not attending theaters and they're still freaked out about uh, about <clears throat> pandemic concerns, about COVID. I don't know where they get that, but that's what they are. And, uh, you know, I see people, I don't see masks where I go, but there's a lot of people that still believe in them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you unpersuade them, how you persuade them to just, look, fellas, if you're relatively healthy, you're not going to die from COVID. You might get it the way you get, you know, get a, a bad cold or, a, you know, or get the flu occasionally. But, you know, I don't know what the problem is. The people will not get out of that concern. No, I see them here and, wearing uh, them outside, know. walking around outside wearing masks. And I always say, <laughs> that's so strange. Why are you doing that? Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. The, and, you, and, and and Sasha Stone has never once gotten COVID, and that again, she she stays indoors a lot. I stay indoors, um, but I don't I don't really wear masks that much. If I have to, I will, yeah. but I hate wearing them. I hate it. Inside, mm-hmm. I hate mm-hmm. wearing them. I hate wearing them while I watch movies. You know, I hate a mask on my face. I really do. But I never did mm-hmm. get that COVID, and I have no idea why. Probably because I don't go very many places. That's probably the reason. But I wouldn't trust a mask to protect me unless it was a KN95, you know? Um, yes, yes. So anyway, uh, what do you think about the best actress race? Do you think that uh, Riseboro can pull it through in a surprise or what? 
Um, I would be very surprised, very surprised if that were to happen, because uh, I thought that it was basically a concentration of very enthusiastic uh, friends and supporters. And who was it that mentioned this? Well, Mark Harris, it was. He said that, you know, people don't understand that actors have all been through this, where they thought they've given their best, they've really delivered a great performance, one that they are genuinely proud of themselves, the people who have seen it either on stage or in a small indie film. And therefore, it's it really matters to them when someone who has been given a, a, a maybe not an enjoyable, uh, entertaining performance, but certainly one that you can't assail in terms of realism, something like she did when she played a, a woman with a serious alcohol problem. And of course, it was it didn't get any make any money. It didn't get even talked about like people like you and me. And so they just their hearts went out to her because they knew that there was great enthusiasm for a very serious performance uh, that definitely warranted respect. I happen to find it a real drag to sit through. That movie, but I'm not saying that her performance wasn't really good. It really was. I mean, I believed it. No question about it, but it was a drag to sit through. Because it was, you know, being with a drunk is, for an hour, it's like, all right, I get it, I get it. And I've been told I'm shallow because I feel that way. But I just, uh, why, why do you chuckle? Because you, you felt the same way? or? Oh, yeah. No, I did. I And I, again, like, I thought it was good. I just... My thing was, I just didn't think it was better than the other actresses that didn't get in, like Olivia Coleman, for instance. I was just saying, I understand what it's like to be a woman over 40 and to have nobody fight for you and, you know, and get no buzz at all and no mm-hmm. attention for your role. But at the same time, it was kind of a, a flat line of a movie. You know, we've seen it so many times before. Um, you know, the drug overcomes his or her problems and yeah. gets on track. Yeah. I, I kind of, for me to be interested in it, I would have needed something else to her character because I just felt like it was really simplistic uh, reading of mm-hmm. this person. Like she's drunk, then she fixes herself. She's tender, you know. She's it's a good performance. She loses a bunch of weight. She really commits to it. She's a good actress. She's good in everything, you mm-hmm. know. And so good right. for her. She finally Agreed. got a moment. Do I think she's going to mm-hmm. win? I it would really bum me out if she did because I don't think she deserves it. I, um, but what is deserves? I mean, I don't think we're not going to get into it. I don't want to get into it, but I didn't think that Jennifer Lawrence deserved it for Silver Linings Playbook. So people win Best Actress for a mm-hmm. lot of weird reasons, you know. Uh, it's people a ma- felt great um, emotional empathy with a woman who is um, uh, eccentric to the point of, you know, emotional instability. Let yeah. me uh, let me suggest something that we could close with a statement that Army Hammer to take it back to the original focus of this All discussion right. about something he says at the very end of the article, and he explains he doesn't really expect to be let back into the industry. He didn't expect to be exonerated, but he does um, want to be. Uh, he he cites a Joseph Campbell trope for the, the the idea of the hero's death, which is the hero must die so he can be reborn. And he believes that when you get into real trouble, as Robert Downey Jr. did in the late 90s and others who've had issues and problems, um, but he says at the end, he just wants to set the record straight 
And, um, and then he ends with this quote, which is, I think, really great. No one will hire me. No one will insure me. I can't get bonded for a project. Nothing. And no one will touch me because if they hire me, then they are the people who support abusers. And then they're liable to get canceled themselves because this fire, which he's referring to wokeism, is burning itself through town. And when they throw someone like me on the fire to protect themselves, <clears throat> what they don't realize is that all they're doing is making the fire bigger. And that fire is now out of control and it's going to burn everyone. And they're just continually throwing people on, to, on it as sacrifices to protect themselves. If that message, which I think is completely valid, were to actually get out there and people were to think about it, it this Army Hammer article in and of itself would be more than worth it. And I'm glad that uh, he said it. Well, uh, I, I do too. And I just well want, I want to add a couple of things to that, which is that if we had people with courage in this town, actual balls... They would turn that into mm -hmm. a movie. It would be a great movie. It would be a great story. It would be something people would dig into and have, you know, because it's it has everything. It has sex. It has, a you know, a liar. Um, it, it, mm -hmm. You know, it has obsession. It has a guy being persecuted, but also a guy who's done things that he regrets. Like, it's got it all. And yet they won't touch it because people are just too afraid. If I could just give a message to people out there. Be, don't be afraid anymore. You know, you have to stop being afraid. You have to take a risk and start speaking honestly and, and you know, stand up to people, stand up to corporations, stand up to the Internet. You know, it's not as bad as you think it's going well, to be. Well, of course, the reason that, that, that world insanity has, has caught on and become as strong a force is because of corporations. They go along with it. Yeah. That's, what, that's why it hasn't gone away. It's, it's the people at the corporate level that's so terrified of, of Twitter. Yep. And, and uh, you know, so that it's really the corporations uh, that are the trouble. It's that was so why I was um, very relieved that the Academy didn't rescind. I knew that they weren't going to anyway. I just knew it. I knew it was mm -hmm. a lot of uh, uh, um, sound and fury signifying nothing. But um, mm -hmm. but I was glad that they didn't do it, and and because it would have seemed like uh, some sort of way to even things out with the black women who were, you know, it was a story that needed to be talked about, but no direct action should have been taken. The academy two years ago might have rescinded it, mm -hmm. you know, because the outrage would have been so strong. I'm not saying people don't have a right to be mad; they absolutely do. But the institutions have to be the guardrail. You know, they have to be the ones to hold on to sanity, just like in Salem in 1692. In Salem, anybody could call anybody a witch. But it was when they assembled the mm -hmm. lawyer and terminer and they started holding fake trials and hanging people. You know, that's when it became. And, and so nobody should have listened to the shrieking banshees when they went after Army Hammer. They should have just said, you know what? Yeah. We're good. Like Luca. Luca Guadagnino is a hero. Because he never once yeah. threw him under the bus, and, and to this day, he said he'd still work with him. And that right. is integrity. He said that in the article also. Yeah. yeah, that's somebody with a backbone. That's somebody who has character, and not a lot of people do. How did the, um, 
how did the 1950s uh, blacklisting end? Because a couple of people stood up and just, uh, and, and once they stood up, specifically Otto Preminger, hiring Dalton Trumbo on Exodus, and the same year, Kirk Douglas hiring Trumbo for uh, Spartacus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he put, uh, he said he's not going to, you know, um, yeah. give credit to some, you know, ghostwriter who actually didn't write it. Uh, and he left a Trumbo's name at the gate at Universal. And without anybody really noticing or anything, any big dramatic events that anybody was taking note, it just kind of went away, you know. Because a couple. Of well, it's it's yeah. Because mass hysteria does eventually burst in Salem. The governor's wife was mm-hmm. accused of witchcraft, and the governor was like, "Uh, hello, are you kidding? This is ridiculous." Mm-hmm. And John Proctor had done the same thing, but he was still hanged, and his uh, his pregnant wife was accused. But it took the governor's wife, someone of such mm-hmm. high power, to just stop it. And once it did, it completely shattered. It just evaporated. And the same with this, you know, if enough people stand up, and and then as you've always pointed out, we both know is when uh, jo- um, Joseph McCarthy started going after members of the military uh, in the Senate primetime Senate hearings. Uh, that one senator, what's his name? You know his name. Who? who well, it was his name was Joseph Welch. He Joseph wasn't a senator, Welch. but he was a. He was, but it was actually a one-two punch. It was Joseph Welch followed. By Joseph, by Edward R. Murrow. It was two, yeah. two punches. Did, have you no decency, and, sir? Have you no decency at last? Mm-hmm. And right. back mm-hmm. then, because it was the right, it were the conservatives that were were driving fear of communists. Being called a communist was like being called a racist today or somebody who committed sexual yeah. assault. Um, and mm-hmm. they, we had all of these wonderful artists coming up. We talked about this already, but like Rod Serling and the Twilight Zone, and they were all on the right side, and now they're not. Because mm-hmm. to, to understand the past, now we all know what it's like to live through something like that, and maybe we can be more understanding of people of the past, how they're willing to fall for it, because we just fell for it. We just fell for it for a couple of years. We went through the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not easy. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, on that note. All right, on that a, note. That's a very hopeful and, and, and good thing to, 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 uh, to end with. But I, uh, I just want to end with a final note, which is that I will be uh, shattered into pieces and depressed. And I don't know what I'll do with myself if everything ever goes to the world. Well, you best. You best. You best prepare yourself. Better prepare yourself. It's it's probably most likely going to happen unless they can find some other alternative. But all right, have a good one. You too. All right. Bye bye. There's something happening here. Thanks for listening to Oscar Poker. You can find Jeff Wells writing at hollywood-elsewhere.com, Sasha Stone at awardsdaily.com. Nobody's right if everybody wrong When people speak in their mind Getting so much resistance from
we've got to stop. Children, what's that sound? Everybody looks good. Field day for the heat down there. A thousand people in the street singing song and they carry inside. Mostly saying hooray for our side. Now we got to stop, children. What's that sound? Everybody is going down. Sound, everybody look at what's going on. 